Is the way you think about hope different than three months ago? Are the things you're hoping for different than three months ago? And I'm not just talking about in the big things. I mean in the, the day-to-day things that we hope for and desire. I mean, like for me, middle of May is a time when as a basketball fan, I'm getting really excited and hoping for a historic NBA Finals. A seven-game series that for two weeks, I just can watch the drama and these great athletes playing for a championship. My sporting hopes have changed quite a bit. The only two leagues that I know of that are in existence right now are the Korean Baseball League and the German Soccer League, the Bundesliga. And so my hopes are now trying to join those fans, for example, in Germany who are wondering if RB Leipzig and Borussia Dortmund can overtake Bayern Munich for the top of the table. I don't know if it's going to happen, but maybe. I don't even really know what that means, but it's something. Or maybe summer plans. Three months ago, six months ago, nine months ago, my family knew what we were doing every single week of the summer. And we had great hopes for the uniqueness of this summer. We had some amazing trips. We were going to go to the UK to see my wife's family. We were also going to be going on our first ever cruise. We were going on an Alaskan cruise that my mother over a year ago had arranged for me and my two brothers and her and all of our families to do this once in a lifetime trip. Both of those canceled. Beth and I were going to get some time in Michigan in July. We were going to be uh, going to this conference center. I was speaking at a conference, and, and we were going to go together, and it was this beautiful conference center overlooking Lake Michigan, and we were going to enjoy that. Our family was going to go to family camp as well for a week where I would be speaking, and the girls would be able to enter into all the activities at Laity Lodge Family Camp. Canceled all of it. Now our our big summer hopes are are for days at home and maybe a river floating trip down the Blanco River, which isn't bad, but it's different than what we were hoping for three months ago. Mid-May would be a time when for my children, I'd be hoping that the school year would end well and final exams would go well. Now I'm just hoping that next year's school year starts when it's supposed to. Are the things you're hoping for different than three months ago? Because hope is what we are talking about as we conclude this series today, What Never Changes. How the Apostle Paul in Romans 5 writes about hope emerging out of suffering. And is the hope that we are now hoping for in these days, how does it get closer to the kind of hope, living hopefully, that Paul writes about in Romans 5? How does it shape and form the way we think about hope? Well, to understand this, we have to understand the very basic Christian doctrine that Paul's writing about here of how God responds in the face of suffering. What we see is is that when God encounters suffering, God gets involved in it, but recreates it and transforms it. What that means is things don't go back to the way they were before the suffering. God doesn't just take it away and we continue on the same trajectory as before. God makes, as book of Revelation says, all things new. We see this in the cross. As we worshiped on Good Friday, we see the women and the men at the foot of the cross as Jesus is dying there. And we believe that they had hopes in that moment, hopes that God would show up, that God would assuage his pain, that God would maybe triumph in some kind of way in the face of the scoffers and the mockers who gathered with them around the cross. God didn't show up in the ways that they were hoping for, and yet What we see in the beauty of the first Easter and the beauty of Easter worship and the beauty of the resurrection is that God shows up in a way that defies all logic and is beyond anything they could have hoped for. 
Living with hope is, is not about searching and demanding a certain outcome from God, but it's understanding that as we are in suffering, God enters in and creates all things new. And this isn't just a theological point. I mean, think about your life. Think about your story. All of us have moments in our stories, pivot points, where our life was moving in one direction and now starts moving in a different direction. Often those pivot moments are moments of pain, difficulty, suffering for us or for those whom we love. You know who your real friends are. You know when a small group is gaining real traction when you know the pain points in each other's history. Not because it's some kind of historical fact that we need to cover, but because when we hit those points, it changes the trajectory and shapes who we are. Or as Paul writes about it, it gives us a little bit more endurance and, and it might produce a different kind of character in us. It's important in community to know each other's pain points because you can't know who I am today if you don't know what I've walked through. I don't need to convince any of you that we are in a time of suffering right now. Individually, as families, as a nation, as a world, no one is immune from the suffering today. We're just living those stories of suffering out in unique ways. Hundreds of thousands of lives lost. Most likely many more to come. Families that are grieving the loss of loved ones. People living in isolation, hoping that they don't contract this disease. Others living and practicing social distancing because we don't want the disease. We also don't want to spread it to people who are high risk, whom we love. Uncertain of how we move forward, seeing the economy struggling the way it is, knowing people in our own midst who are losing jobs or have lost jobs and the fear and the very real worry of how we provide. Schools not meeting, churches not meeting in person, wondering how do we come back together? What does that look like? The uncertainty that all of us are facing right now. No one is immune from this time of difficulty and pain. But the series that we're in right now is entitled, What Never Changes. What I want you to see and hear from this passage in this series is that Paul says that one of the things that never changes is that suffering is a part of life. No generation is spared. No individual, not even Jesus is spared. We live in a fallen world. But what also never changes is that God enters into that suffering and recreates and transforms and redeems and resurrects and nothing will be the same afterwards as it was before. We will emerge from this, hopefully with more endurance, hopefully with an individual and a collective character that has been shaped by the Holy Spirit and living as people of hope. Now, if you're anything like me, that's an important theological point to acknowledge. But some days when one day bleeds into the next and it feels like we're uncertain where we go and how things end, it can be easy to forget that theological point and enter into the abyss and for life to start swirling. So I want to conclude with an invitation an invitation to each and every one of us that I believe allows us to move into suffering that is real, but also to emerge from it as hopeful people living with hope right now. 
And this exercise is very simple, but it's one that you can do individually. You can journal about it. You can think about it. But I also encourage you to do it in community, to talk about it over lunch today, to talk about it over dinner today, to talk about it with your small group, and then to do so again and again and again. And it's an exercise that's just asking you to answer two easy questions. First question, what are you grieving? That might seem like a strange place to start if we're going to stand in hope But this is not a shiny, happy hope. This is not an escapism kind of hope. This is a hope with scars. And this is a place that if we're going to have real hope, we have to name first the real loss and the real grief that we are experiencing for ourselves and those whom we love. There are things that are lost in this time for graduates, for seniors, for older adults, for, for, for all of us. And we need to name what they are. And we need to listen to what they are for those with, with whom we're in community. Not to fix and give advice, but to just name it. Because, because men and women of faith in the scriptures, they don't just kind of have this hope of just skipping through life and skipping through suffering, saying God's going to take care of everything. But we read about enduring faith coming out of, as we see, for example, in the Psalms, of rage and confusion and anger and worry and fear Asking, oh Lord, how long, how long will we go? What are you grieving for yourself, for those whom you love? And the second question that then emerges from it allows us to then raise our heads when we're in that place of honesty, to then honestly ask another question of what is the new thing God is doing? And the second question I'd like you to answer is, what are you learning? What are you learning right now about yourself, about those whom you love, about this world? What are you learning about God and what God's doing? As a father of two teenage girls, I've been thinking about this question, these two questions this week. I'm grieving for my kids in a number of different ways. I'm grieving for the isolation. I'm grieving for school ending the way it is. I'm grieving for an unknown future. I'm grieving for a loss of innocence. I'm grieving that when they talk with their friends, it's hard to know what to say because every day is the same as the day before as the day before as the day before. I grieve that they're thinking about face masks now when they go outside. But I'm also learning things as a parent. And I'm learning the uniqueness with older children of parenting from a place of relationship rather than rules. You see, I think one of the things I'm learning is that I was more like a Pharisee in parenting my teenagers than I would have wanted to admit. It's due to busyness as much as anything, just running through life, work, carpooling, school, activities, driving, coordinating things, Beth's work, school work, all these kind of things, and we just move at 100 miles an hour. And when you move fast, you don't have time to go in deep with each other, and so you just create systems to make things operate well. And those systems have rules that teenagers are designed to ask questions about and to push on, and you don't have time to even engage in the pushing on it, so you just make more rules and make more demands. But as we've been forced to slow down and be together, I am realizing all kinds of things about my children and I think they are learning about me. I think my children are getting to know me better than they maybe ever have. And I'm getting to know them, why they're pushing on the things they are, what are the questions they're asking, what are the things going on in their mind and hearts. I'm watching how they engage in this new COVID-19 reality and we're working together and figuring out what it means to parent and 
And when it comes from a place of relationships rather than rules, there's a whole different kind of joy. If that's some of what God creates in our life and in my life from this pandemic, for that, I will be grateful. What are you grieving? What are you learning? Because suffering is real. But suffering is not the end of your story. It's not the end of our story. Suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. And hope, hope does not disappoint. Hallelujah. And amen.